I'm a talkative person because I'm an SE dom. It's like my only world is the physical. My words are the only means of me getting out my meaning and intention. We'll see if I eat those words. She'll be entertaining others all the time. This is exactly where I wanted to go with it. <laughs> Do not dare to this bump on a podcast with people can hear me. You guys ready to go? Yeah, Kate. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Literally No Subtext podcast. We are doing a Dear Christian episode today, which means I'm going to be answering some of your questions that you've submitted via my website, which is hellodearchristian.com forward slash contact. I can hear a clock in the background and it is bothering me, so I'm going to pause for a quick second and see if I can disable that. Never mind, turns out I can't, but fear not, because it seems my headphones plugged into the microphone are more sensitive than what the podcast recording app can hear, so I think we're good. A while ago, I told you guys to submit questions related to Myers-Briggs on my website, and I have about 100 questions, and I've only answered one. So, classic, right? I'm an ESFP. Don't at me. So today, I'm going to hopefully power through more than just one. I'm pretty determined, and when I'm determined, well, it doesn't make much of a difference because I tend to just run my mouth off when I'm talking about Myers-Briggs relationships and anything of that nature. Which I proved recently, by the way, when I gave my first live talk about personality, which was at a Catholic youth retreat. The talk was called Personality and God's Plan and I was talking about Myers-Briggs and faith, i.e. two topics about which I'm very passionate. And I was given an hour to talk and I was terrified that I wasn't going to have enough material to talk in that time. And I was saying to all my friends, I need to make sure I have enough material. And Jenna was like, yo, Kristen, you don't need to prepare that much material because trust me, you will go over time with just who you are as a person. And I was like, no, I won't. Lo and behold, when I actually gave the talk, I'd given like the first, I guess, five, like what I had envisioned was going to be the first five minutes. Turns out I looked at my clock halfway through the talk and it had been half an hour and I was like okay I need to hurry up and then it got to the full hour and I was like I need to speed past like five of the points that I was going to talk about that's a story you didn't ask for and we are already at about two minutes so let's push on all right our first question for today comes from Lissandro thank you for your submission Lissandro hope I pronounced your name correctly the question is I am an INTP and my girlfriend is an INFP. I think our personality difference plays a huge role because she is very emotional and I'm very intellectual. So she expects me to be more emotional and talk about my feelings all the time. But instead, all the things I like are related to knowledge, ideas and concepts. I am worried because I think she is not getting the passion she needs and that makes her sad and less in love. What can I do? First of all, is this not the most classic T slash F difference in a relationship that does, let's be real, play a part in how communication happens in a relationship. I am very much on the train of Myers-Briggs compatibility should not be a reason why you decide to date someone or not. I think all types can be compatible. I've said that a lot on my channel. I think it just comes down to how virtuous you are willing to be, the self-sacrifice you're willing to practice in the relationship and your understanding of love, basically at the end of the day, like how mature you are, right? But Myers-Briggs is an excellent tool for communication in a relationship because it allows you to extend grace to the other person when their type is very different from yours. So if you're an F dating a T, it might be good for you to employ strategies such as, okay, I understand that this person wants to love me and so it's fair that I sort of 
explain to them what I need in the relationship, i.e. emotional validation, listening to me talk about my feelings. But at the same time being like, they are a T, it probably drains them to spend too much time in that realm. So out of love for them, I'm going to employ other coping strategies, self-regulation from my emotions, maybe have different ways of coping, i.e. going to my friends who are also fellow Fs to talk about my emotions rather than expecting the person I'm dating who is a T and therefore, you know, just they probably have less a less nuanced understanding of that deep emotional spectrum that you're existing in 100% of the time. I'm not going to expect that person to carry me in my emotions. And then for the T, it probably involves a level of, okay, I understand that this person doesn't use a logical framework to make their decisions. If they have emotions, they feel very real to the person. Therefore, I need to validate the emotions before I provide problem solving techniques for the emotions. Those are just examples of like, FT solutions like a basic I mean it seems basic it's totally not basic when you're in the relationship trying to put that in practice I understand that but this is what I'm saying about Myers-Briggs being a good tool to help you understand the person because if you don't use Myers-Briggs and understand that fundamental difference an F might look at a T and be like oh they're problematic for not validating my emotions in the way that I'm expecting them to or they are unhealthy because they are clearly suppressing their emotions when in reality it's like no they just don't use that tool to make their judgments most of the time doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them or anything unhealthy with them so I commend you Lissandro for using Myers-Briggs as a tool here to understand the other person it does become hard when the other person you're with does not use tools like Myers-Briggs or Any personality tool or maybe, I mean, it it can be the case sometimes that we date people who aren't very introspective and haven't thought about these inherent differences that very clearly exist between two individuals. There's a few different things to unpack in this question. The first is I might suggest if this person has showed interest in self-sacrifice for love and like getting to know exactly what your love language is and asking questions such as how can I love you better it's a good idea to if not suggest Myers-Briggs as a tool for understanding if they're not open to that that's fair enough personality tools aren't for everyone try to use language that isn't Myers-Briggs specific so you don't need to say you know you use a dominant function called introverted feeling I use introverted thinking you don't need to use terminology like that because if people are biased against personality tools, then that might get them to shut off. You can use other language such as, you know, there's a, there seems to be an inherent difference between us. You seem to have a very nuanced emotional experience. I don't as much and I'm, I think, more rational. That might even be language that's too strong. Other language that you can use is when they're opening up their feelings to you, just use validating language. I can't even emphasize how important it is for T's when they're dating F's to just use emotional validation language when talking to the F, especially when they're in some like rant. Well, you might perceive it as some rant. I mean, it is. let's be real. It is a rant a lot of the times about their emotions. It's good to just validate. Just use language even if you think their emotions might be stupid in the moment. A lot of emotions when we feel them aren't rational but they are very 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 real and when we're experiencing an emotion we need that validation. If you use a like validating language such as wow that's hard I'm sorry that you're going through that yeah that must really suck for you. What can I do to make you feel better right now or hey let me hug you. These words, they're all very emotionally validating. I know T's cringe when they hear this this language because it's very much like, well, I don't feel like I'm being any use because I'm not 
providing a solution to the problem. But as T's, my advice to you is in that moment when someone's having an emotional moment, if you do want to love them in the way that they need to be loved in like that self-sacrificial way, just understand that it's not about you being useful in that moment. It's just about that person feeling like their emotion is valid and safe to exist in that space. So when you validate it, we can then relax and just feel a lot safer in our emotion existing in the relationship. Whereas if you try and solve the problem or imply that the emotion is stupid, that can make us feel really invalidated and it can actually do the opposite of what you're trying to do. It can make us more angry and more emotional in the moment. And when emotions are happening, they just sort of like govern us and it takes a great deal of emotional regulation to sort of wind down in those moments when our emotions are being heightened. But understand that for an F, if we are taking the time to express an emotion to you, that is a really big deal to us. And it is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do. So in that moment, it's really good to just use emotionally validating language. And for this particular person, Lissandro, if you're listening, which I hope you are, even though you submitted this question a long time ago, first of all, listen to the emotion that your girlfriend is trying to express to you. Use the emotional validating language that I've already spoken about. And then say something like, look, I'm not always really good at finding the exact response that you might need in these moments or emotional validation isn't my strong point, but I am always going to be here to listen to you and I really do want to love you better. So if you could please help me to understand what you need in these moments, that'd be really good for me and for our relationship going forward. And then if the person responds with, well, you should just know. As an F, I can relate to that experience because when I was younger, I would definitely think about my boyfriends like, you should just know, you should be able to read what I'm feeling. You should be able to read what I need. But that's a classic thing as Fs, that like a, a way of thinking that we kind of need to get out of because yes, we have this really nu- nuanced, complex emotional experience happening, but no one else is in charge of our emotions. No one else is responsible for our emotions and how we react to our emotions. And we cannot expect that others will understand them without communicating them, especially when we understand that people are fundamentally different. So don't be disheartened if that's the reaction your girlfriend has. It's just about taking the time to get to know each other and the love languages of each other. And don't blame yourself too much if you don't understand that emotional nuance. It's just about trying. And just don't be scared to use that validation language and to explain, look, this isn't my strong point, but I'd really like to learn your language, your love language and how to love you better. So that's the first thing. And classically, I've already talked for like 12 minutes. The second thing that I'd like to quickly unpack in this question is the part of the question where you said, I'm worried because I think she's not getting the passion she needs and that makes her sad and less in love. Now, this is no disrespect to your girlfriend. Of course, this is just me putting, I guess, a thought out there for contemplation. But I would get you to consider maybe what is love? Is is love purely an emotion? I think a lot of us would say love isn't a purely purely an emotion. I did think that it was purely an emotion when I was younger, so I understand why it can seem like it is. But deep, true, authentic, self-sacrificial, agape sort of love is not an emotion because it's supposed to stand the test of time during the ups and downs. And we all know that when you're with someone for longer than like two years, a lot of the emotional hype that's there in the honeymoon period just isn't there anymore. And what is supposed to keep the relationship going at that point? Well, no, love isn't just an emotion. It is a choice. It's seeing the person in their flaws and choosing to love them. So I would just say for 
just just to sort of put out, you know, a thought. This isn't to make a judgment about your relationship or, or the person you're in a relationship with or, you know, I definitely do not know the nuance of your relationship, but I will just say you are worthy of love in your personality and when there is someone who proves that they do not understand the fundamental essence of love or that they cannot love us in who we are, sometimes it's good for us to question whether that's a relationship that's good for us because sometimes we can just get drained staying in relationships like that where people have these expectations of us that first of all feel unfair second of all that like we can never actually fulfill and I truly believe that expectations can be the killer of some relationships like unvoiced expectations or unfair expectations based on some weird vision that we have that's like based on our perception that we have from our own memories and experience and nurture growing up that is just frankly unfair to project onto someone who's had a completely different experience of growing up and brand of nurture. You know what I mean? So I would say if someone's getting to know you deeper and that means that they're understanding that you are a thinker, more rational, more intellectual as you put it, and they are falling less in love with you, then I would want to ask the question whether that's the kind of love that you're looking for. Because in my experience, true love, when you get to know the flaws or differences of the person, actually grows deeper because it's loving someone in who they truly are. True love sees. It's not blind. It actually sees the person for who they are. So those are just my thoughts. I hope I answered your question. Moving on to the next one. Our next question is from Puperin... I've almost certainly mispronounced that name. I am so sorry for that. I've seen Enneagrams. They had all some experience in childhood that created their type. So can MBTI have an effect from childhood and how? Thank you for sharing information on YouTube and your content. You're so very welcome. Thank you for the question submission. I do not believe that Myers-Briggs type can change. I think your behavior can change based on self-understanding, habit and virtue. To me, it just doesn't make sense that your main dominant function would change. Like I'm so clearly, even though I've matured in some ways, still an SE dom. Jenna, my sister and I have speculated that potentially the first two cognitive functions can change, but I don't think that I've seen a lot of data for that, to be honest. When I look at people in my life who are, I almost said adults, like I'm not an adult at 30 years old, like my parents and people around that age, it just seems that they absolutely are still that type, even though they've grown, like a lot of people would argue that you become, if you're an extrovert, you become more introverted when you grow up. But it's not about being more comfortable in silence and solitude because we can become more comfortable in silence and solitude when we just become more comfortable in who we are and more confident in who we are because we need we stop needing the approval of others as much as we do when we're younger so of course as we grow up we all become more comfortable in ourselves and have therefore more comfort in solitude but when we're talking about Myers-Briggs extroverted functions we're not talking about that we're not talking about whether you get more energy around people or by yourself I love spending time alone these days to be honest right now I'm looking at a six hour day of being alone and I'm chuffed about it I have not had alone time in a very long time so I'm very excited about it Myers-Briggs extroverted functions are not that. When you look at T-E-F-E-S-E-N-E, they're very, very different functions. And can you imagine someone changing from a T-E to an F-E, like suddenly going from valuing effectiveness in the real world in a logical rules-based system to suddenly basing your decisions and energy based on the harmony, emotional harmony, 
when you think of the fact that a TE DOM uses FI as their bottom function. And then suddenly, not only understanding emotional nuance 90% better, but now suddenly going from making decisions based on personal emotions to the emotions of the tribe. Like when you think about how big a change that would be, that's impossible. Though I know a lot of you would say, well, we're not talking about someone changing from a TE DOM to an FE DOM. We're talking about someone going from an INTJ to an ENTJ. I just have not seen a lot of data about people changing types. I've never, in fact, seen data of people changing types when you think about what Myers-Briggs cognitive functions actually are, not the mainstream understanding of what introverts and extroverts are. And as an ESFP, I do need data in order to believe something. So I just haven't seen the data, and so I do not believe that type can change. I also believe that even though I come across as an introvert in some situations, I have someone at my church who thought I was an introvert for a whole year, and I, like, cheered when I heard that. Even though I have matured and some of my behavioural tendencies tendencies have changed, I still am an ESFP. I very much know that. It's so clear. Like, I can't imagine what would make someone go from immediately and instantly reacting in an extroverted way to completely changing to reacting first and foremost in an interior way and not immediately extroverting things. I just can't imagine that actually changing. There are certain behaviours that can change if we're like, okay, as an ESFP, for instance, I'm like, okay, it's good to have moderation in what I say. It's good to apply filters in what I say. So I've stopped just blurting things out and just being more aware, but that's not because that tendency has changed. It's more like I've deliberately practiced the virtue of having moderation and self-restraint with those things. If I'm like with my family and I'm very comfortable, I'll still just blurt things out. So my type hasn't changed. My decision to put filters and just be more virtuous and practice virtue has changed. So in answer to your question, when it comes to childhood, I do think nurture does play a role in how we present behavioral wise. I think habits can look very different. For instance, I was raised in a family where table manners were highly valued. So when I was eating with my family, I would be encouraged to not have my elbows on the table, to use the correct knife and fork, to not chew with my mouth open, to not talk with food in my mouth, to stay waiting at the table until everyone's finished, to not start on the second course before everyone's finished the first, like those kinds of things. And so when I'm with my family or with people I've just met for the first time, it's very natural for me to employ those table manners. And a certain element of that will translate to when I'm alone. So I do like things to be neat and clean when I'm alone in the sense that when I finish eating, I will go and wash my dishes immediately just so that I don't have to worry about cleaning them later. So that's maybe a habit that I've developed from my upbringing. But when I'm alone, I do find that a lot of those table manners go out the window because as an SE dom, I'm like, okay, there's no one around. There's no one I have to impress. And I think a lot of my childhood was based on like, okay, how are others perceiving me? We've got to use table manners so that we're perceived in a certain way so that we're being polite, so that there's etiquette. But when I'm alone, I'm like, okay, no one's around. I'm comfortable by myself. I'm an SE dom, so I thrive in chaos. I don't need neatness in my space. So a lot of those table manners will go out the window. And then there's also the whole category of like, childhood, I guess, emotional trauma, little t trauma, not big t trauma, meaning like it's not that traumatic, but it's kind of like things like, oh, as an F, if I'm raised by a T parent, maybe I've been encouraged to not talk about my emotions so much or like my emotions have been suppressed as a result of me not being allowed to express them in my physical space when I was a child. Stuff like that, which then we have to learn to, I guess, correct as we grow up, especially as Fs. It's really healthy to find healthy modes of emotional expression, which is something we need to learn as we grow up if we've had that particular upbringing. 
So yeah, there are things like that that I think affect how we present or our behaviors, but I don't think that our fundamental tools of perceiving and judging the world are changing in that. It's more just like behaviors we've learned, but some of those behaviors that I learned in my upbringing, I've had to unlearn in order to be a healthy individual and others have really benefited me. For instance, the habit of saying certain prayers, going to church, like I love that because my parents instilled that habit in me. It's something that I found very easy growing up because that was a habit and I find very easy now. Well, I mean, it's like my faith is now way more solidified in my emotions and my own personal heart. But as an ESFP, that kind of routine isn't something that I would naturally find easy. And routine isn't something I find very easy, but because that was instilled in me as a child, I find it actually very easy. Even before I kind of had that reversion of heart to the faith, I did find it easy. So yes, that is what I think about upbringing and Myers-Briggs. Let's move on to the next question. This one is from Sia. Thank you for the question, Sia. Hi, Kristen. I have a couple of questions for our favorite typology guru. Oh, thank you so much. Firstly, I just want to say that I appreciate how vocal you are about your faith. As a Christian myself who is discovering a more personal faith as a young adult, it is always encouraging to see others walking with God and not being afraid to tell people. On this point, if you ever wanted to do a religion slash faith-based video or podcast, I would absolutely love to watch slash listen to it. Before I move into the second part of this question, I will note, and this is topical because I literally mentioned this early in the podcast, I did post on my Patreon page a one-hour video of that talk that I gave at that Catholic youth retreat that I mentioned early in the podcast. So if you want to watch that talk, it's quite vulnerable. I do talk about elements of my faith and my testimony that I've never before mentioned on the channel. So if you are interested in that, please jump over to the Patreon page. It is on the INTJ level of the Patreon. It's maybe the most raw video that I've put out there when it comes to my faith and my story. I do hope to talk more about my testimony, my faith in the future. It's just taken some getting used to being out there in a public sphere and also making sure I'm healed of certain things and like some proper true discernment about that. But it was definitely time where I felt I could release that onto my Patreon page. We have a really good community on there. It's solid. There's, you know, I definitely trusted the community in uploading that and it is something that I am fine with being on the internet. I also felt fine uploading it because it talks directly about Myers-Briggs. It is, however, the first personal talk that I've given in my life. Obviously, I'm no stranger to public speaking being a teacher. Being a teacher is the very opposite. You're not supposed to be personal. So this is the first time I did a talk of that nature and you can see I'm very nervous and I ramble a lot and I mess up some of my definitions. But overall, I'm really proud that I spoke about it and I think it went really well. So if you're interested, jump on over to the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash dear Kristen, which I'll put in the show notes of this podcast episode. Thank you. Secondly, I would like to ask if you could talk about how to better yourself with MBTI in mind. Oh, huge topic. What is the healthy way of becoming more balanced in your type functions? I'm an INFP and there are many areas I need to work on, but is it just a matter of pick a type you're not similar to and do what they would do? How do you create useful lasting change rather than just acting a certain way temporarily? And how do you remain true to yourself when attempting to use functions you wouldn't naturally? I love that. That's such an FI way to put it. How do you remain true to yourself? You've talked about how you have become more balanced over time in your personality. And I would really like to hear some pointers or guides regarding this and any wisdom you want to share. Big question. I could get into the nitty gritty of it, which I might, but I just want to answer by the way I hadn't pre-read any of these questions so these are my natural authentic answers 
might mean that I want to come back later and refine some of them. But I think I've thought enough about Myers-Briggs and self-growth to know my answer off the cuff to a lot of these questions. And the first thing that comes to my intuition immediately is it's not as complex as sitting there and being like, okay, how do I develop this inferior TE that I have? It's about just let me try and be a more good and virtuous person. And what that boils down to is loving others. Jordan Peterson said something once so valuable in a video that I happened to come across on my Instagram, which was self-conscious thoughts, that is thoughts pertaining to oneself, are very closely associated with the experience of negative emotion. So it is literally the case that when we are thinking about ourselves, we are unhappy. So what's the antidote to that? Well, you might say something like, stop thinking so much about yourself, but it's not that simple. Really, the answer is start thinking about others. We should be thinking about others most of the time. So for instance, if you're married, if you're a husband, you might think, how can I be more happy? Make your wife happy. That will make you more happy. Or at the very least, it will stop you being miserable, which is a start. I think that's the essence of the quote. I've read it multiple times. That's why I know it somewhat by heart. I agree with this message so much. People ask me, how have I developed my functions? It's not about sitting down and being like, how can I be more in tune with my NI? Of course, I've thought about that. I've had so many thoughts about how my NI is weak and how that sort of manifests in my life. And don't get me wrong, that is really good. But it's more good when it's kind of like, okay, I'm having a meltdown or I'm having an emotional moment over this belief that this decision I'm making or this event in my life is going to be so catastrophic and it's going to end up in this outcome. And then my ENTJ housemate will be like, Kristen, this is your inferior NI blowing this out of proportion and making you believe that it is definitely going to be this one outcome. But there's more nuance to that. And we know that the inferior function presents as a five-year-old. So it's unnuanced and it presents in tantrums, right? That's what happens when my baby and I is at play. I perceive reality as necessarily going to result in XYZ outcome that is for certain 100% of the time. And it's obviously something ridiculous that like really the possibility of that actually happening would be like less than 5%. But for some reason, I just believe that that's the outcome that's going to happen. That's one way that my inferior NI presents. And so developing my inferior functions could look like in that moment being like, hang on, stop, pause, Kristen, you know that you have baby NI. Go and talk to someone who like your housemate, who uses NI as a second function and who can help you nuance this more. And so rather than being like, how can I develop this? It's more like, well, I understand that this is a weak spot. Let me go talk to someone who can help fill out the picture for me. Jordan Peterson also said that 70% of our life experience is based on our own perceptions that have come from our subconscious biases that we've got from our upbringing and our own personal experiences over our life. We're not capable of perceiving reality objectively. And so how do we fill that out? Through different perspectives. It is so important to realize that there are thousands of perspectives that we are missing throughout the world when we're making our judgments on life. So being a better person is not like, how can I improve my functions? It's more just like, okay, I know this is a weak spot of mine. There's a perspective I'm missing here. Let me realize that I am not the best human in the world and I'm not perfect and it's not the world according to me and I can 
you know, I do have weaknesses and let me lean on others to help fill out those perspectives. That is honestly like the number one thing that has helped me be a better person is just that humility of being like, right, I know I have weaknesses. I do have strengths. I'm very, very emotionally intelligent, for instance, and I'm very good at being present in the moment. Those are two things I'm that are like strengths of mine to that are inherent to my personality. They're very easy for me, but I'm not good at long term planning. I'm not good at foreseeing future visions. I'm not good at self-discipline. So let me realize that as a fundamental truth (laughs) and lean on others for that. Because we know we're relational beings. We know that we get our happiness ultimately from other people. Like think about what do you want your tomb, like sorry to get morbid for a second, but what do you want your tombstone to read when you die? Do you want it to be You know, she was a really hard worker. She had a great career. She was very money conscious. Like those aren't the things you're going to want in your tombstone or in your eulogy. You're going to want people to say she was a great mother. She was a great sister. She was a great wife. Like she was a great member to society. She loved really well. She was a family person. She cared for others. Like these are the kinds of things I think will value. I'm saying she, by the way, because I'm talking about myself, obviously. This podcast is not just for women. (laughs) We are relational beings. Other people are going to make us happy. Serving others, loving others are going to make us happy. That's why loving others is the golden rule of life. So how do you be a better person? Humility and looking outward, looking to others, thinking about others most of the time. Your cognitive functions will naturally fill out in that process, I promise you. So maybe for you as an INFP, specifically talking to Sia right now, As an INFP, as I mentioned, it's in those moments where I'm having the breakdowns where I kind of realize, okay, I have baby and I, how do I combat this, right? In those moments where you're maybe stuck in your, I guess, (laughs) me trying to understand INFPs here, stuck in your, I guess, imaginations or you're thinking about what could be, but you, or you're like deep in your emotions, but you're not really making anything happen or you're kind of like stuck in analysis paralysis or whatever you want to call it. You could be like, oh, hey, I have this self-understanding that TE is my weakness. I need to get up and do something about this. I need to get up and make this happen. That can be really overwhelming in the moment, especially when we're having an emotional moment. But talk to someone who's an ESTJ or an ENTJ or an INTJ or ISTJ. Like, how can I make this happen? What are some steps I can take? This is why we have people around us. This is why God has given us people in our lives who are fundamentally different from us and it's the truth these tools of personality tools like they help us understand that we are fundamentally different like look around to others in order to understand the beautiful richness and fullness of the truth of reality and the human experience if we're just experiencing our own experience we're missing out on so much we've been given these different personalities all around us to understand different sides to the coin different perspectives so lean on others be humble enough to admit fault really if i was to boil it down i'm trying to boil it down to just one thing but really it's humility realizing that you aren't the best like you have weaknesses like realizing that and sitting with that and then because not only does that help you to realize yeah what your weaknesses are but it helps you to love others better because if you realize the truth that you sometimes suck it allows you to have compassion for others and empathy for others in their weaknesses and allows you to forgive easier as well which has been like such a such a learning curve for me such a good lesson to learn in my life and loving others looking at others focusing on others, like 
being serving of others in your own way, in the gifts that you've been given. It doesn't have to look like acts of service. It can just be an emotional <clears throat> validation, emotional intelligence. We all have different love languages and showing love. That's the way it's meant to be. We're not supposed to all be all of the cognitive functions. We're not supposed to all be all the love languages. You have your gifts. Lean into those gifts. Don't think that you need to be perfect at all the cognitive functions because that's pride speaking, thinking that we should be all of the cognitive functions and can be all of the cognitive functions because you're thinking far too highly of yourself if that's the point. Realize you have gifts that are beautiful in and of themselves. You've been given them. You don't need to be perfect at the other gifts because actually your gifts fit in. They have a very specific, beautiful place in the community, in the larger community of people. And that's what I think we should be leaning into rather than trying to fill these gaps and be good at these things that we're never going to be good at or like aren't going to fulfill us. Of course, I can be good at because as I said earlier, you know, you've got to nurture habits and virtue. Of course, as an ESFP, I can be good at self-discipline and routine, but those things, if I stick to them and focus 100% on them, aren't going to bring me fulfillment because it's not where I thrive. Rather, I focus on the things that I'm good at, like being present, entertaining, sharing, and emotional intelligence. These are the gifts that I have. So lean into your gifts. Wow, classic. Why do I rant for like 700 minutes about literally... Well, because I love these topics, actually. That's the reason. <laughs> and if you're listening, you're probably interested in this stuff too. So I should extend grace to myself there. Question number four. This one is from Rachel H. Thank you for your question, Rachel. I've been learning about cognitive functions for over a year now and still can't seem to see my type clearly. I'm all over the map. What should I look at to narrow it down? Fair question. This is the age old question. Look, I'm not going to go into all of it now. I could go into how I would personally type yourself based on all of the different letters and how to work out what preferences you're using. But it would honestly take another like 45 minutes for me to nuance it with the attention that it deserves. But I did go into it a lot in my last Dear Kristen episode called typing people in the wild or how to type people in the wild. It was a few episodes ago. So Rachel, if you're interested, I highly recommend you listen to that. That kind of goes into how you can differentiate when someone is using different preferences out of each of the four different letter categories in the Myers-Briggs personality type four letter code. I was able to trust that I was an ESFP less so because of my self analysis and more because of how others saw me. So I've mentioned before that I heard about Myers-Briggs firstly from my sister who told me, I think you're an ESFP. And I was like, okay, let's sort of dive into this and research it. And my family unanimously agreed on that. This was because they were able to testify that I was things like performative and impulsive and exploratory in the sensory world. And I had no filter and certain vices I had were that I was attention seeking and talkative and prone to gossip and things like that. And now my own perception of myself was very different. I thought that I was way more subdued and reflective and deep and intelligent in a intellectual, purely intellectual type way. So I think our perception of ourselves is very different from how we actually are. And I mean, that's probably because I was looking at my FI and being like, I'm really deep. But as an ESFP, it wasn't really presenting that way because I was just so impulsive and had no filter and wasn't allowing a lot of people to see that deep emotional experience that I was having with my FI a lot of the time. Because we all know FI can be quite independent, not needing to show itself to the people in our lives. FI doms can be quite 
isolated in their emotional experience and that's something that they do to themselves and it's how it's how it works for us of course that's changed now but as a young'un that's definitely how I was presenting so people weren't seeing that depth that I had and they were instead defining me in the aforementioned with the aforementioned adjectives and so that allowed me to be like hmm I probably am an ESFP because that's what's presenting first to everyone. I know that I can be really reflective and emotional and deep, but that's not what's presenting to the world most of the time. So that helped me work out that I was an ESFP. So I don't know. I found my type years ago, so it's kind of hard for me to... I guess I haven't tested this advice, but I might recommend that you sort of go to those people who are the closest to you and ask, how would you define me? Or give them adjectives, like give them two ultimatums. Would you say I'm more of an intellectual person or emotional person? And be open to how they answer. Be open to understanding. And if you need them to nuance it, say, oh, you you think I'm more emotional? How so? And that might help you sort of decipher whether you're using FI or FE. Like, I think we try to find our type by ourselves a lot of the time. But I know people who do typing and or have done typing in the past and maybe don't anymore, but they've said things like, oh, when I have clients who are trying to get me to type them, I try and tell them what their type is or I try and point something out about them and they're kind of in denial about it and refuse to believe me. That's a very, I guess, blunt way of summing up something that was much more nuanced than that. But the essence is, you know, that we are sometimes in denial about, I guess, what our personality is really like or who we truly are. And, And I really think that I was in denial about being an ESFP for so long. Not that I thought I was a different type, but I thought I was more nuanced and deep than an ESFP, but that was based on a poor understanding of type and what an ESFP actually is. So yeah, go to others, get them to define you, um, make sure that they feel safe to actually be honest about that, because I think a lot of people can just kind of give us adjectives when it's asked such questions to like placate us. So they might be like, you're just, you're kind and you're friendly. It's like, no, give me the real answer. (laughs) Um, yeah, that would be my advice aside from like consistently researching, maybe take a whole number of different type tests and see what the overlaps are in your answers. That might also give you an idea of what your type is or what sort of preferences you're leaning towards. If you're like hundred percent honest with yourself, make sure you understand the cognitive functions of what they really are. Um, and then the last advice I give you, if you're still pretty desperate is, um, yeah, get someone to type you professionally. Uh, I've heard really good things about Amy Y and her typing. I trust that she knows what she's talking about when it comes to typing, so I can recommend her. And yeah, I think that's a good investment in money if you think it's going to help you. But also remember that type isn't the only tool that we can use to understand ourselves. You can still be a good person without understanding your type. That might look like just sitting down with yourself and working out and asking yourself honestly, what are my weaknesses? What areas do I need to grow? And that, by the way, can also... It can really help in those moments to ask others such questions, which takes a great deal of humility, but refer to earlier in the podcast when I said humility is the best. (laughs) All right, friends. And with that, that is the end of this episode. I answered four questions, which is much better than last time. So I'm proud of that. I will be releasing another episode of these Dear Kristen segments very soon. So stay tuned. Follow the podcast if you're interested in hearing more. Feel free to ask me a question that I will answer on this podcast at www.hellodearkristen.com forward slash contact. You can find my Patreon page in the links below. Again, if you're interested in hearing that mini testimony and talk about the faith and personality 
compatibility that I gave at a recent Catholic youth retreat, please pop down to the Patreon page and have a look at the INTJ tier. There's a lot of other content that's available on that tier. Extra typing episodes, commentary on my old videos, typing of characters in popular TV shows, and a bunch of other stuff on there. So if you're interested, jump on over. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and following the podcast. And if you're on a podcast platform that allows ratings, I'd sure appreciate it if you could leave a rating. If you're interested in checking out more MBTI content, please head over to my YouTube channel, Dear Kristen, to see my skits, share them around if you enjoy them, or my Instagram page at dear.kristen, that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N, if you'd like to see some of my favorite comments from YouTube, and if you'd like to participate in my type trend polls. You can also now check out the raw answers from each of my type trend polls in PDF documents that I've uploaded to my website at hellodearkristen.com forward slash type trends. Thanks again for listening, guys. And until next time, see you later.